stubborn. You know any kids stubborn like that three-year-old? You know any youth stubborn like that three-year-old? You know any adults stubborn like that three-year-old? God knows a lot of stubborn individuals. Do you know stubbornness is all about control? Who's going to be in charge? Oh, now we don't want to believe. Matter of fact, if you and I were in that room, we'd have picked up that orange for that kid. No, I wouldn't. You'd picked up that orange for that kid. Oh, isn't he so cute? Stubbornness is all about control. And we need to be careful. Because just what we saw in that three-year-old is what stubbornness does to us. We decide what we won't do. Not what we will do. We decide what we won't do. We'll give every rationale in our mind. It's good, good logic. But our stubbornness, now listen to me, our stubbornness creates emotional distress, emotional discomfort inside us. And that boy would blame his mom. And stubborn people blame everybody else or some other situation. If you have your worship handout, that's what you were given, okay? Or you might have picked up. There's a page, got June 9th on it. Look there, look at that first blank. I'd like you to fill out that, fill in that first blank if you would, and words will be on the screen, okay? People who decide their way is the correct way are some of the most difficult individuals to get to change their behavior. I almost want to say, if you agree with that, say amen, but we don't want people to shout in here. Stop and think, are you married to a stubborn person? Boy, it's so hard to get them to change. You got ch stubborn children, so hard to get them to change. You work with a stubborn person, so hard to get them to change. You a stubborn person, so hard to get them to change. Okay? Now, God knows that. So you see, God wants us to understand we can't change ourselves. If you could change yourself, listen to me. If you could make your relationship with your family better, your relationship with your marriage better, your relationship with somebody else better, your relationship at work better, you would. You would, but you can't. And see, you're miserable, you know, inside. But you're stubborn. And so what God does, He gives us foundation. And foundation is His plan. And that's why we do things like this. And we don't do them quick. We'll be here till noon. We just don't go quick. If you're looking for a quick church, Connection's not a quick church. We've seen already in five and a half years, people and families who have been changed. I mean transformed. And you see, God says He'll change us by His plan. And His plan's always founded upon His Word. And that's why we spend so much time looking at His Word. And I want you to look on the screen to God's Word to stubborn people. Proverbs 13.10, good verse to learn. Okay? Pride leads to conflict. If you're stubborn... You've got to be in charge. You're full of pride. Your wife's not going to get her way. Your husband's not going to get his way. Your parents aren't going to get their way. Your children aren't going to get their way. Personal work's not going to win this time. Pride leads to conflict. And you know you have this problem because you have a life full of conflict. Now, everybody has conflict. I don't have time to talk about that. That'd be another sermon when Scripture gets on it. But you know your stubbornness, your pride leads to conflict. God says it. So God says, take advice. You see? Those who take advice, they're wise. So take advice. Now, why do I show this to you? Because you see, Jesus has come to the earth. And Jesus is God's Messiah. God said He was going to send the Messiah. Jesus comes to the earth. Jesus is God's Messiah. In other words, He's the anointed one from God. He's the one that God said He was going to send. And people are to listen to Jesus. But Jesus comes to people. Now listen, He comes to people who are religious in the sense that they're comfortable in the way they do things. See, when I say religious, we think just go to church. But they're religious in the sense that they know this is the way I'm going to do it. I won't do it that way. And they're stubborn in that way. 
And we're married to people, and we have children who grow up, and we have family members, and people work. They're religious in their stubbornness. And Jesus comes, the Messiah comes to people who are looking for the Messiah, and He speaks to them. Listen, He speaks to them about changes take place in their life, but they are so comfortable in their stubbornness, they are so comfortable in their religious position. What they have said is the way life ought to be lived but they, they won't listen to them. They will not accept following Jesus. They have great difficulty. And we're seeing that as we go through the Bible here. In chapter 15, Jesus said this. Jesus, and we spent two sermons talking about it. Jesus said, people get lost in life. And if you were here, I said, most people interpret chapter 15... As if only lost that you don't have salvation. And I told you, believers and non-believers can get lost. People get lost, Jesus was saying, from where God wants them to be. People get lost, husbands and wives, from where God wants them to be in their marriage. People get lost, children and parents, from what God wants in their family. People get lost from where God wants them in their work. People get lost from just enjoying today. And what God's plan is for today for you to enjoy. People get lost. And in there, Jesus pointed us to something that was very important. Look on your worship handout to Nick's blank. Jesus said the only way to get back to where God wants us is to, now look at that, is to come on His terms, God's terms, and follow His plan. Write that in there. P-L-A-N. Large letters. His plan. You see, look what I wrote after that. In bold on your worship handout. It's sort of bold on the screen. I don't want to hear that if I want to live by my way, my emotions, and my desire. See, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear God's plan. I know. These people knew that Jesus was coming to. And believe me, they went to church more than you and I probably go to church. And they would memorize Scripture probably more than you and I memorize Scripture. And they had a heritage of faith in relationship with God, maybe more than you do or I do. But you see, they didn't want to follow God's plan as Jesus revealed it because we don't want to if we want to follow our plan based upon our emotions, our desires. See, what I want Last week, remember, Jesus was teaching. When we looked at it, we moved from chapter 15 to chapter 16, and Jesus said we need to be careful how we use money in living life. He didn't say anything about you got to give all your money to the church. We don't even take an offering. People want to give connection, they put it in the box back here. We used to pass things, buckets or something. And we said, that's crazy. We just put a box back there. People want to give. Bible says you ought to give cheerfully. Bible says you ought to tithe, but you ought to do it cheerfully. And so people want to do it, they'll put it back there. But Jesus talked about money, and he says you've got to be careful how you use money in living life. He didn't talk about giving to the church. And some people don't want to hear what Jesus has to say about how they're going to spend their next nickel, dime, dollar, ten dollars, twenty dollars, hundred dollars, thousand dollars. And yet Jesus told us to be careful how we use money living in living life. As a matter of fact, Jesus said we should worship God and not money. We've got to be careful of worshiping money as God. And a lot of stubborn people have that problem. Of course, if you ask them, they're like that little boy. They're not stubborn. They're not stubborn. Look on the screen again. Remember that verse? Pride leads to conflict. You got conflict? In your emotional state? Oh, maybe you've learned to live with your mate and you don't have a whole lot of conflict anymore with your mate. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, someday I'll, we'll get into some scripture on marriage and, and most mates who do not have conflict, because I think every mate's going to have conflict if they relate very well, probably live in the same location maybe, but they really live in different worlds. You have conflict inside then. You have conflict with your children? Maybe you guys just don't talk anymore, but it's inside. See? Pride leads to conflict. It always does. Those who take advice are wise. 
And so I've taken all this time to talk about that because what we're going to look at today, and it's just what is next, because we're studying through a book. It's very important we understand that verse to be open to what Jesus is going to say. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to Luke, the 16th chapter. Luke, the 16th chapter. A little bit, those words will be on the screen from there. But I like you bringing your Bibles. I like you circling and underlining because later when you read, maybe a a month from now or this week or six weeks from now or, or next year, you'll read this passage and the things you underline and circle will help you understand that context of those verses. If you don't have a Bible, hey, listen, we're giving New Testaments. If you got a New Testament, it's page 67. We're giving New Testaments away because we're doing the book of Luke. We're in the 16th chapter, and they're on the table. When you walk down the hallway, just take one. No problem. Okay, just take one, bring it next week, and begin using it. You'll be amazed the markings you'll put in the Bible. Keep the handout. Go this week. Look over the Scripture. It's listed in your handout. Read the handout. Read the Scripture, the things you underlined or circled. We use this one or two a week and understand better the words of Jesus. Now, if you're stubborn, you won't do that. Okay? You just told me I don't have to do it. See, stubborn people, listen. Stubborn people already decided what they wouldn't do. Some of you came in here and said, I won't sing no matter what. See, stubborn people already decided what they wouldn't do. Look, some of you are driving in a car, the Holy Spirit of God convicts you, you want to go home, you just want to jump on your mate. You just want to say, not bad, good. You want to say, I love you! I am sorry! And you know what? You get out of that car, and you don't ever say it. Because you have decided in your life you're not going to be that way. God's trying to change you, transform you. Some of you kids, man, God has spoken to you. You want to go tell mom and dad, I'm sorry. You guys are the greatest parents. But you've already decided what you wouldn't do. God's spirit is driving you to say, I want to do that. But you won't do it because stubborn people have decided what they won't do. So at the very beginning, I say that again. And so I encourage you to take one of those Bibles or bring a Bible from home if you have one and start following us. Now, I'm reading now the New Living Translation. That's the Bibles we give away. Not because it's the best study Bible. I don't have time to talk about that. I've talked about that every so often I do when the sermon's not as long as I think it's going to be. But it's very easy for people to follow who do not read the Bible. And connection isn't about reaching people who already go to church. I've already told you, those people come to first step, they don't usually stay with us. They find out we're a different church. We're trying to reach people of the culture, people who haven't developed a church history probably, or people who have fallen out away from the church, people who do not know Jesus. Okay? And so I use this because this is easier for people who aren't regular church folks to understand. Regular church folks, they'll critique this all the time. Okay, I try to share with you where maybe I think it not being the best study Bible to get some better understanding. But we're going to look at Luke 16 in just a minute. Let me say about the property. Boy, thank you. I'm telling you, we had so many people. We've almost got our painting done. We've got some painting still on the kids' rock when we get that to that point. And then we've got still to finish some in the worship center. And so we may use three or four people, okay? So you can keep coming and help us. Saturdays are big days, Okay? But I appreciate so much the help that's been given to us at the property. Okay? And if you, I picked up my worship hand out because I called attention. We just knocked those doors out in a week because so many people showed up. And I'm impressed. Young folks, man, I'm impressed. Young folks, just show up greatly. Thank you for being there this week. Let me also call attention to uh, what it says there at First Step, if you haven't read that. You can read that if you're interested in that. You want to be sure to let me know, okay? Contact me either by email or just tell me after worship, okay? Chances to get a better understanding about what connection is, the kind of church we are. Let me also say we're in the summers. I, into the summer, I see people fanning, okay? I, I was going to wear shorts today, and I said, no, they said it's going to be 60, so it's going to be maybe a little chilly, and, and I get cold easy as I get older, so I didn't. I tell you, I wish I would wore shorts, Okay? Shorts and a sleeveless shirt, man. Okay? Yeah, forget the shirt. Shorts and... No, you want a shirt on me. <laughs> you do. Okay. <laughs> Have some of you seen me with a shirt off? <laughs> You're laughing hard. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but really, 
They've, I, I talked to the custodian. They've cut the heat back, expenses, everything like that. So just understand, you wear long pants, you're probably going to keep all that heat in, okay? Won't be much longer. We have our building, and I'm going to tell you, we'll fix that. We'll turn the lights down. Weren't the band great today? They were. Yeah, they were. You know why they were so good? Because they practiced out the property, and we kicked the lights down. That's what we're going to do in worship. Lights will be down. We'll have platform lights up, and it's going to really heighten our emotions, okay? And so they're good because they got the practice out there. Better than, than maybe last week or the week before. Oh, I got in trouble there, okay? But when we get out there, I'm going to kick the, the air down to about 40 degrees. <laughs> Listen, everybody's going to be happy, see? Because you can put clothes on to stay warm, and you don't have to wear a jacket if you want to stay cool, okay? And so, no, we won't do that either. But I would tell you why we're here. Put your shorts on, Okay? because it's going to be warm, and you won't maybe be holding in all your heat. Uh, there was something else I want to say. Oh, next Sunday, Father's Day. Please read that article. If you've got a, a father, a stepfather, okay, step-grandfather, yeah, grandfather, don't go to church. We're not looking for you to invite people to leave their church and come here, okay? We want them involved. Those churches are churches of Christ, okay? If they are churches of Christ. We want to say, but if they're not, invite them. Say, hey, it's Father's Day. How about meeting me? We'll go out for, for lunch. You can buy. That'd be great, Grandpa. Okay? <laughs> Stepdad, that'd be great. Okay? Invite. Just read the article. I will say this. If you're a father, it's a great opportunity to ask a child, stepchild, that the gift that would please you is they'd come to Connection next Sunday, and you'll take them out and buy them lunch. Good opportunity. You see, people who do not go to church tend to come when there's special occasions on the calendar because the world knows it's Father's Day. And so they're trying to think, what can I get my father? What can I get my stepfather? What can I do for my grandfather? And you've already answered it for him. So take advantage of that. Think about that Monday and Tuesday. Tell them that. Make it easy, okay? And there's one other thing I want to say is I so appreciate you being here. I appreciate the way our people are sitting forward. We leave the back seats. We don't have people staring looking. I don't know why people won't sit over there where Matt sits. I don't think he smells bad, but I tell you, nobody comes. Well, really, they don't come sit over there whenever I'm sitting over there, see? So you just get the results. But uh, remember, if you come in, you can't find a seat. Always look furthest over, okay? And that's just why people don't get over there, because it's further over, okay? But before we go, I want to pray. Would you bow with me? God, I want to thank you for this time. I want to thank you for Jesus and his words. And, and God, I ask you that your spirit would help us to understand what Jesus is going to say, to not misunderstand it. Because God, I think maybe we in the church have talked about this, that Jesus is going to say in a way that's inaccurate. And God, I know I don't have all the answers. But I ask you to help today, that as we look at the scriptures, that we just might understand what it is Jesus is saying in context, not out of context. Please help us, Spirit. Please help us, Father. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. So Luke, the 16th chapter, the 16th verse. We stopped at verse 15 last week. We're going to do 16, 17, 18, and 19. Nope, 16, 17, 18. We're going to get 19 next week. So verse 16, look on the screen. It says, until John the Baptist, okay? We've already talked about John the Baptist. Don't have time to explain him. Just John the baptizer is what the Greek says. There wasn't denominations back then. There weren't Catholic people. There weren't Presbyterian people. There weren't Baptist people. It's John who baptized people. People said there was a lot of Johns. We know that. There's going to be Apostle John. How to identify that John? John the Apostle, follower of Jesus. John who baptized. So before John the baptizer, the law of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guides. Okay? Now, you've got to understand, Jesus is talking to people, very stubborn people who do not want to listen to him because he's asking them to move out of their comfort zones. He's asking them to be honest about their life's experience. And you know if your life's got conflict, be honest. If you're dishonest, you're not going to be able to get through. Okay? And so Jesus says, I want you to understand, John is sort of going to be the dividing point. And he is. There's the Old Testament, the front of your Bible. There's the New Testament, the back of your Bible. Okay? And John comes at the beginning of the New Testament. And for people who understand theology, John is the dividing line, in a sense. You have, you have Moses, 
the teachings, the first five books of Moses as he wrote them, the law is given to Moses by God, you have the prophets, and then there's 400 years of silence from the last book, the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, to when we get the first book in the New Testament, when John comes. And he's trying to say that until John, you were to follow the laws of Moses, you were to follow the messages of the prophets. Okay? Now, what did the prophets say? And that's important. See, Jesus is trying to get them to understand something about himself. Okay? And what did the prophets say? Well, I want you to look on the screen for the sake of time. We're going to look at Jeremiah. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back to Luke. Jeremiah said this. Now, follow with me on that. He said, the day is coming. Day is coming. Jeremiah wrote this 600 years before Christ came, okay? He said, the day is coming, says the Lord. That's meaning God spoke. Really, Jesus spoke. Jesus has always existed. Not anything the Bible says was created that wasn't created by Jesus, okay? God, the Godhead, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, creation process. So, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Oh, the Old Testament. Testament means covenant. So, the front of your Bible is the Old Covenant. The the back of your Bible is New Covenant. Some people get confused. They say, I don't listen to the Old Testament. I don't do the New Testament. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But he's saying there's a new covenant that's coming. God only works through covenants. That's how we're to, rework, we're to work. But we don't work through covenants. Covenants take trust. You see, we don't trust anybody. We don't even trust the police. We don't trust our president. I don't care if you're, if you're a Democrat today, you might say, I trust my president. Get a Republican, you say, I don't trust my president. Get a Republican president, you might trust him. Get a Democrat, you say, I don't trust We don't trust our congressman. Matter of fact, if you don't know how to live by covenant, you have trouble trusting your mate. Parents, you have trouble trusting your children. Children, you have trouble trusting your parents. We don't live by covenants. That's how God tells us we ought to live. I'm going to tell you. I'll trust you. And you'll fail. And I'll give you another opportunity. There's things we'll do. A couple sermons down the road, Jesus is going to talk about what you do when people break covenant, when they sin, okay? But, but we are to live by covenant. So he says, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. That were God's people. Today, Paul says, people who believe in Jesus are God's people, okay? I'm going to make a new covenant with my people. He goes on in verse 33. Or did I miss it? I'm sorry, verse 32. Okay? This covenant was... No, let's just jump to verse 33. I didn't want to get into trying to explain Egypt and all that. Let's go to the next verse. Yeah, verse 33. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. In other words, God says, listen, the new covenant is going to be spoken directly to every individual. The old covenant, it was a responsibility of the head of a tribe to teach the people in his tribe. If the tribe was failing, God said, hey, to the head, you're not doing it right. Every dad, every husband was responsible for his marriage and for his children. In other words, children were to be taught about God, and dad was to make sure those children were living for God. God said, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to speak to everyone. It's not going to have to be the, the tribe, the head of the tribe that explains me. It doesn't have to be the dad that explains me. Now, we ought to be able to explain God to other people. But God says, I'm going to speak to each person in their mind. In other words, God's going to bring conviction to every person. He says, I'm going to do that. He says, 600 years before Christ comes. 600 years before John the Baptizer comes. Now he goes on. He says, I will be their God and I will be, and they will be my people. And they will not need, verse 34, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. In other words, God says, Everybody I'm going to speak to. That should answer your question. What about those who didn't hear? God says, everybody I'm going to speak to. Don't ask me to explain God. I'm not the creator. He said, I'm going to have a new covenant. Up to this point, people had to be taught. He says, there's going to come a time, a new covenant. A new covenant when I'm going to speak to every person. Every person. They won't need anybody to explain. I'm going to tell them. That's His Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell them, you know what? I'm real. God's real. You need me. You have just done your own thing. That's sin. They may not know that. God's going to say, you're doing your own thing, and you need me. That's why some of you, before you even came to Christ, you knew you needed God. And that's why some of you are Christians. You get lost, and the Holy Spirit speaks to you. You need God. God brings people to knock on your door. He brings somebody who loves you to talk to you. 
But you see, God speaks through His Spirit. That's what He says is going to happen. And He says, and I will, the last part of that, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never remember their sins. In other words, God's going to speak to every individual through this new covenant. He's going to say, I'll forgive your sins, and I'm not going to remember those sins. Okay? They're going to be gone. Now, look on the screen, Luke 22. You're in Luke 16. Don't turn there just for sake. Oh, I don't care if you do, but I want to get back to 16. Here's the fulfillment of the new covenant. We're going to get to this in six chapters. Look what. Jesus is talking. He has a meal with his followers. They're eating regular food. In that food, he takes some bread and some juice, and he, he says something. Verse 19, he, that's Jesus with his followers, took some bread and gave thanks to God for it, and then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, this is what we call face down. Some people call communion. Some people call Lord's Supper. Some people call Eucharist. This is the first one, okay? Jesus started it. You say, why does the church do that? Because Jesus started it. He says, you do this. Now look at 20. After the supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the words of Jeremiah. New covenant. Isn't that amazing? Luke 22 with words 600 years before. Do you know people used to say in the 1900s up to about 1950 that you can't trust the Old Testament because... The Old Testament Christians got to, and they wrote prophetic statements in the Old Testament, matched the statements with the New Testament. I mean, if you investigate the New Testament, you, gotta, you just got to accept it. Whether you want to believe it, that's another choice. Historical records tell you New Testament is valid, except for people who are stubborn, and they just say, I won't believe it. But, but they said Christians got hold of the copies, the copies of the Old Testament we had, and they wrote these prophecies that was said in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. You know why they said that? Because the oldest copy we had of the New Testament was like 100 years old. 100 years old. See, Christianity, up to 1950, 1950 it's over 1900 years old. So yeah, Christians got together, they took the Bible, and they wrote in the Old Testament, they added words to match the New Testament. I'm in the university, people teaching that. And then I started getting introduced to things. And you know what happened in 1942, 1947, somewhere around there? Y'all heard the word Dead Sea Scrolls, but it's not the Dead Sea Scrolls only. I could talk about those. Because of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the values there, people went back over that area and they started excavating archaeological discoveries. And we started finding all kinds of copies of the Old Testament. We got Old Testament copies that are 900 years older than Christianity. And you know what they find out? The prophetic words are there 900 years before Christ came. Are you following with me? I'm just trying to help you get some intellect because this world says anybody with an intellect can't believe in Jesus. That's because they heard the wrong information. Keep coming to connection. You're going to hear some of this right information. It's not to impress you. It's to give you a foundation so you can trust the reliability of God's Word. You can have confidence in it. So this is the first covenant. In other words, Jesus is saying to the people of His day, I'm the guy that is bringing about what Jeremiah said God was going to do with His people. And so who do we listen to? He said up until John the Baptist, you had Moses and the messages of prophets. Guess what? John the Baptist says, whoa, look, pointed to Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God. Since John the Baptist were to look at Jesus and how his words connect with the Old Testament brings this value of the Old Testament. So look back at Luke 16 now. Okay, all background. Sorry, it just has to be done with this because we're going to get to a verse that people take out of context. Jesus is trying to say, I'm the guy you ought to listen to. I'm the guy you ought to listen to, but nobody wants to listen to Jesus. Okay? In 16, verse 16, but now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is eager to get in. In other words, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and remember we talked about it, you who are, haven't been here because we've got quite a few people this first or second time to be with us, you've not been with us on the journey. He's got a crowd. As, as, as Matt says, he's like a, a rock star. He's got a crowd of people because they're, they're hearing things from him that is impacting their lives, Okay? In verse 17, but that doesn't mean, now look what he says, that doesn't mean that the law has lost its force. In other words, what God said in the Old Testament has lost its force. Remember I told you you've got to take the words of Jesus and apply them to the Old Testament. 
to bring the fulfillment. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the Old Testament, I come to fulfill it. So he says, it's not lost its force because these people don't want to believe in Jesus. They say, we believe in Moses. We believe in the prophets. Jesus already said down right here, listen, up to John the Baptist is all you had, but now the good news is being preached. Oh, you don't do away with the Old Testament. It's not lost its force. Look what he says. He goes on. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the smallest point of God's law to be overturned. In other words, I'm coming and I'm going to share things with you and it's not going to be contrary to the Old Testament. It's not going to be contrary to the things God was trying to teach His people in the Old Testament. It's going to bring fulfillment to those. That's why many, of, many people, uh, whenever I was a policeman, we'd arrest those bad guys and they'd find out I'm a Christian because I didn't try to hide that fact and they'd ask me some of those questions, why'd God kill all those people, blah, blah, and they'd ask all these questions that they were taught by their parents to ask so they can't believe in God. They don't know Jesus. They've got trouble understanding that. You know, the only way to know Jesus, God is to know Jesus. That's what he said. That's what the people learned. What's God like? We've never seen God. Jesus says, you've seen me. You've seen God. You know me. You know God. And so Jesus is the one they need to look to. He's the culmination of all that was in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. He's the New Covenant. That's why, listen, what do you hear at Connection all the time? Live in love like Jesus. You say, should I forgive? I say, live in love like Jesus. Some of you ask me, and I don't give you an answer. I say, what do you think Jesus would do? Just live in love like Jesus. And you don't like that, you see, because you're stubborn, and you already decided you're not going to forgive that person. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what these people are like. Jesus has just tried to tell them all that I've explained to you, but he just did it in those few words. Now he's going to say something that's going to be very difficult for those men. And it's not the women. In Jewish culture, it's always the man. Don't you understand that? And Jesus is going to say something very difficult for human beings to do. Men get stubborn, and they were stubborn against Jesus. Matter of fact, it's the men that got together that got him killed. Those who are comfortable in Jesus' day with how they were living life, Jesus is going to tell them they're not living it correctly. That's what he's going to say to them. You've got to understand, that's in context here. And they don't want to listen to Jesus because you see they say, I want to live my way according to my desires. Well, I tell you what, let's just look on the screen real quick. Look at this next verse. I think you saw it before. Did you? Proverbs 13, 10. I had to learn it. My poor wife had to live with a very prideful man very early in our marriage, and I have to deal with it. We're soon to be 44 years married. Pride leads to conflict. And Jesus is going to speak to these people and they don't want to listen to Jesus because they decided they want to live their way. Pride leads to conflict. And you know if you've got conflict. You know you're lost. You can't find God's way for your life. You can't find God's peace in your marriage. You can't find God's peace in your family. You can't find God's peace at work. Pride leads to conflict. So what should you do? Those who take advice are wise. Take advice. Take advice. What does God have to say? And you know what Jesus says to them? He says, I want you to understand. Since John the Baptist, I'm the new covenant, I'm the one you listen to, I want you to understand. Marriage is very, very special. And to a Jewish man, that wasn't always true. Marriage is very, very special. Look on your worship handout. Look at the next blank. The most important decision, now this is Mike Davis, okay, you may not agree, the most important decision you will make in your life is whether or not you will follow Jesus Christ as your Lord. Now Christians will probably say, yeah, I agree with that. Look at the, what I wrote though. The second most important decision you make in your life is who you will marry. Because you're going to wake up every day by that person. You're going to go to bed every night probably by that person. You're going to be with that person. Second most important decision is who you will marry. And Jesus is saying, I want you to understand, but marriage is very, very special. You need to be careful who you marry. I'm telling you, if you can't give that person gals, if you can't get that guy to go chick flicks with you, don't marry him. If you can't get him to put his shotgun down and go bike ride with you, don't marry him. 
If you can't get him to give you all his money for you and spend nothing on him, don't... Well, no, don't do that. Okay, that's a little bit extreme. But you get the idea of what I'm trying to say? Because some of you women try to man control. You don't understand the Bible. No wife is controlling her husband. The word submit comes from both sides. Okay? Be careful who you marry. The Jewish men felt they could marry whoever they wanted to, and if they got tired, they could do what they wanted to with their wife. And they knew what their practice, historically, I could give you evidence. I preached a sermon on divorce before, and I gave all this. Maybe another time down the road I'll preach it, because we've got quite a few different people who haven't heard it. But even into the third century after Jesus, Jewish men were still doing what we're going to talk about today, and it was inappropriate. And so Jesus is going to talk to them that marriage is very, very special. Look at verse 18. It's the last verse we're going to look at. I want you to circle the first two words. If you don't remember the first two words and you only quote the rest of the verse, you'll misquote it, I believe. And I think most churches have remembered the rest of the verse, not the first two. Jesus is saying, I'm going to say the rest of what I say in verse 18 as an example of what I just told you, and that is this. That you have the old covenant, but now I am the new covenant. Jesus is who they're to listen to. And so this is an example. And some churches have made it sort of a, 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 a club statement. And some of you who grew up in church know that if you had a divorce, you were looked down on. Okay? So let's look. For example, very important, you understand that before verse 18. A man who divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. And anyone who marries a woman, divorce, a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Okay? And we know that happens all the time in and out of the church. Now remember, I told you, the world wants to tell you 50% of all marriages in the divorce. I'm telling you, that's a lie. I'm, I'm say, they say this, that's both true in the church and outside the church. No, they don't ask in the church. They ask people who think they're Christian. There's a lot of people who don't go to church and go to church who think they're Christian who are not Christian. Are you following with me? You get a person following Jesus. That's how you got to identify who's a Christian. But this culture wants us to believe that Christ can't even assure your marriage. Okay? They're just giving you a lie. I'm trying to tell you young people, you old folks, you don't care. You won't change your mind anyway. And if you're, if you're over 60, it's very hard for me to get you to follow me as I follow Christ. You're your own boss. And I'd be as tactful as I can with you old folks. But you see, the older we get, the more stubborn we get. So now the 60-year-olds and older are mad at me. Well, the 40s and 50-year-olds will get there also. I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm just telling you, we get stubborn, and we decide what we're not going to do. And that's who Jesus is talking to. And he's talking to a bunch of men who have, who have divorced their wives and got married again. And he says, you're committing adultery. Or they go out and they find a woman who's divorced their husband, and they got married and they're committing adultery. You see, Jesus is saying, it ought to not be like that. Because marriage is very, very special. Now the problem is, the way I said it to you, is the way we interpret that. But Jesus is using this as an example that comes from the Old Testament, because he says we don't do away with that law, to the New Testament. So we got to look at the Old Testament and the New Testament and see how people looked at marriage. And now I want you to look at your worship handout and please... Follow with me at the very bottom of the page where you fill in the blanks. And I put it there so you can take it home, you can look it over, you can run on the internet, and you can try to disprove it. And if you've ever been through the sermon I preach on divorce, I tell you, I'm on a pilgrimage. I'm still learning. But these are some things I have learned as I've studied the Scripture, trying to get back to the true meaning in the sense of what's happening in our culture today. So there's two practices in New Testament times by Jewish men. Number one, on your worship handout, put away. The Greek word for put away is apoluo. Apoluo, okay? It's used 110 times in the New Testament. It means to put away. It's a word used in Luke 16, okay? It's used there. What we do, we interpret it in our English Bible as divorce because we've been impacted by the King James Bible, which, listen, we didn't even know things about Greek language 
1611 when the King James Bible was printed. And yet people say that's the Word of God. That's the first Bible. No, before that was the Septuagint, which was a Latin Bible. That's the first Bible. But before that came the Vulgate. See, and I could go back and I can impress you with all my knowledge. King James is not the first Bible. It's the first translation into the English language. And we didn't even know a great deal. We didn't even have the multiplicity of manuscripts of New Testament books. But like here, the word apluel, which means to put away, is interpreted as divorce. And so we read this, and that's all you and I know. Now let me explain. To put away, is what, this is what the Jewish man did. I got married. Matter of fact, the Old Testament says, you've got to honor the marriage of your youth. Don't just put your wife away. I got married. You know, I probably sexually got turned on and said, I got to get married, Dad. Okay? And so I got married. Today, you ladies, give your bodies. I'm telling you, girls, you want to get married? Don't, don't give your man any sex. He's going to get on his knees and beg you to marry him. You think I'm kidding you? I'm being very serious. Some of you don't like me to talk about that. Understand that, women. Your mom and dad should have told you that. But you think they're just trying to keep you from having sex outside of marriage. You give a man your sex, you give him your body, it's going to just play you along. And if you force the issue, it'll drop you like a bad $3 bill. But men would marry a woman. A Jewish man marry a woman. And he gets tired of her. Now, in the Jewish culture, it wasn't good to be known to be a divorced man. Though you could divorce because Moses gave a writ gave a right to give a certificate of divorcement. So what they would do, they would take that woman, because women were like cattle. Now, I know you don't like that, and women are not cattle. Let me, I like cows, because steaks come from cows. This is not a woman I want to get steaks from. I like that woman for companionship. But they treated women like cattle. And so they would take the woman that they didn't like, they got tired of, maybe got bored with, maybe she put on a little weight, maybe she wasn't as, 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 as attractive, and her skin wasn't as tight. Okay? Okay? Take that woman and put her aside. Give her a house. Let her live there. Maybe if they had 40 acres, they put her back on the back 40. She can't get married. No other man is to marry her because she's still married, that Jewish man. But see, he could go out and get another wife. That's apulo. That's putting away. We get it as divorce. It should be translated to put away. See? That's apulo. That's what they were doing. Can you imagine a man, and in a man's culture, putting a woman aside, and he gets another wife, and he's all happy. They may have kids. They have a good time. And what's she doing over here? She can't meet another man. She can't go on and have life. She's only at his mercy. Is that specialness of marriage? No. And that's what Jesus is talking about. See, and that's why I give that to you. Put away, you still have a wife, it says on your handout. No special relationship. That woman's still that Jewish man's wife. But there's no special relationship because he goes on and he marries another. That's what Jesus is calling adultery. Now, look at number two on your handout. Divorce. In the Greek, the word is apostasion. Okay? It's used only three times in the New Testament. This word for put away, apelu, is used 110 times. If I took you to the Hebrew word, shalak, which is the word for putting away, it's used 880 times in the Old Testament. Often interpreted in the English language as divorce, but it's put away. The word karethus in the Hebrew is the word for divorce, to give a certificate of divorcement, to cease the marriage, only used four times in the Old Testament. And yet I've known churches that have just stigmatized divorced people. And they made them feel like they were worthless. And yet if you look at the Scriptures, the certificate of divorcement gives the person an opportunity to start again. And if you look on your handout, it is the word used in a verse that I'm going to share later. It's no longer, in other words, if I do apostasion, I say to my wife, you know, it's not, not working out. Women, they didn't file for divorce back then. I'm just tired of you. You put on a little weight. You don't look as nice. You don't like to play golf with me. You don't like to do this. You got kids, and I don't like you and kids. So a man would have on. He'd give her a writing of divorcement. Are you following with me? That's not putting away. 
He'd give her a right of divorcement. He wouldn't put her on the back 40 and then marry another one. Now he's committed adultery because he still has a wife. He'd give her a certificate of divorcement. And now she could go on and reestablish her life with another man. So look, turn over to the back page of your handout. All this information indicates there is a difference. Apelu means to put away. It's an improper action that the Jewish men were doing. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And he's saying, you put your wife away and you marry another woman, you're committing adultery. You get a woman who's been put away and you marry her, she's still married to her husband. You committed adultery. He's not talking about apostasion. You get a woman who's been given a writing of divorcement. So that's an improper action. Because that makes a, that makes, listen, a sham of marriage. To that woman, so I said, are you married? Yeah, I'm married to Mike. And Mike puts her away. That's not what marriage is. Marriage is very, very special. Now, on that back page, number two, apostasion, divorce is a proper pronouncement. In other words, you get a divorce, and you can remarry, and you do not commit adultery. You do not. Look, we got people, you may have been in churches 40 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe even today, that if a person got divorced, they're looked down on. Yeah, that's not the same. That's what the Bible says. And yet people will quote the words of Jesus. There are very popular preachers who will quote this scripture and who will say, you're committing adultery. You're committing adultery. It's not what the Greek, nor in the Old Testament, the Hebrew indicated. Now you just got to chase that. You're, I'm asking you to trust me, and you, if you don't know me very well, I don't know if you want to trust me. You check it out. You run it on the internet. Okay? So Jesus is telling these men, what he's telling them is he's saying this, Stop doing that putting away. That's what he's saying in verse 18. You do the putting away and you remarry, you're committing adultery. And some of you guys are grabbing one of those women that's been put away. You know, you snuck over the fence and you say, hey, honey, let's romance for a little bit. And how about you marry me? And you climb over the fence and you leave. And you know what? That guy don't care. (laughs) He put her away anyway. Now you're living with that woman and you're living in adultery. There's no certificate of divorce. I'm telling you. We have grabbed that, brought that into our time. And some of you people, look, you've been married once, twice, more times. And some Christians have just tried to make you feel guilty. I want you to know in the new covenant, your sins are gone. Jesus, who is the new covenant, is trying to tell you, you can never remarry. Never was in, he's talking to Jewish men. Jewish men who are doing an improper action. They forgot how special marriage is, and they're doing what they want to do because they're so stubborn, and they're mistreating these women. And I'm going to tell you, everything the New Testament teaches, teaches about marriage is that you should not mistreat your wife. Now, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, one of you came up to me and said, doesn't the Bible say, some kind of context, I, don't know what, I forget now how you asked me, but you said, doesn't the Bible say God hates divorce? In Malachi 2.16, the Bible says God hates divorce. Don't look at it now. Malachi is just the last book of the Bible. Look at it later. But Malachi writes, remember, that is 400 years before we get the New Testament, okay, before John the baptizer. Malachi writes, God hates divorce. Okay, I don't want to look at it because I don't want to take time talking about it, but why does God hate divorce? Because listen, you and I know what divorce does. And that doesn't mean put away. God hates broken marriages. You see, God doesn't want broken marriages. God knows broken marriages happen. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. God doesn't want broken marriages. Because you see, God knows broken marriages just crush the hearts of many individuals. Crush the hearts of parents. Crush the hearts of children. It crushes the hearts of mates. It crushes the hearts of friends. If you've ever been with somebody you loved, whether family or friend, and they got a divorce, you felt the pain of it. God hates divorce because of what it does to the hearts of people who are involved. God knows divorced people have difficulty forgiving. Am I making that up? You steal your ex-mate. You can't stand it. God knows that divorced people have difficulty maintaining meaningful relationships. Some of you say, no, that's not true. I just couldn't stand that first one. Here's what the social sciences tell us. If you get your first divorce and you don't understand why and you remarry, listen, second marriages 
divorced at a higher percentage than first marriages. And so a person says, well, I learned the first one, I got a second one, and they get another divorce. Now, third marriages divorce at a higher percentage than second marriages. So if you're married to somebody in a third marriage, you really are dangerous for divorce. You know why? Because see, if you don't deal with what the problem is in understanding marriage, you just take the problem into a next marriage. And what you say, I might have waited 15 or 7 years to get that first, or 3 years to get the first. The second one, I didn't wait a year and a half. I just knew it was wrong. Now that's the truth in our American society. So don't think second, third. You see, God knows that He hates divorce because divorced people tend to have trouble developing meaningful relationships of men and women. So what does a person eventually do? Say, marriage don't work. I'm just going to sleep with them. I'm going to just sleep around. And we bring in young people. Look, why does God hate divorce? Because you see, we tend to pass on our attitude concerning marriage and divorce to our children. So what are our children saying today? I'm just going to sleep with them. And so we hear, when I was in the university, and if I do premarital counseling, I talk to people about this. We hear, cohabitate. Find out if you are compatible because you don't want to get married and get divorced. And yet the social sciences tells us in America, people who cohabitated before they were married, people who had sex before they were married, have a higher divorce rate than people who never cohabitated and who never had sex. Works all against our rationale. But you see, stubborn people decided what they're not going to do. I'm not going to do it God's way. God hates divorce because He knows we pass this stuff on to our children. God hates divorce because it creates emotions that we refuse to let go. God hates divorce. Listen, I think one of the main reasons God hates divorce because it always puts child or children in turmoil. Well, we're going to divorce his friends. It always puts child or children in turmoil. And you watch the movies, they say it's better to get divorced than a kid had to put up with your anger. No, it's better for you to go to CR and deal with your anger and your child still have his natural mom and dad. Now listen, if you don't have that first marriage or second or third, then make that... If you only have one, make the second what God wants. If you've had two, make the third what God wants. Don't give up hope. Jesus is talking to men who have just decided they're going to do it their way. And I'm trying to tell you, make marriage what God wants. Why did God allow divorce if He hates it? Jesus told us why. Look on the screen. Here's what Jesus said why God allows the Jewish men to give certificate of divorce. If He hates divorce, then why did Moses... Okay. Did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce? That word in the Greek is apostasion, number two on your handout, and send her away, they ask. In other words, let her go. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God originally intended. In other words, God knows we're flawed, we're broken. Sin has done that to me. Look, I know you're going to disappoint me. You can be my best friend. My wife's going to disappoint me, and I'm going to disappoint her. You see, we're broken. We're sinful people. Without Christ, there is no hope. I think that's scriptural, isn't it? Yeah, that is. Thank you. Okay? See, we're broken. We're broken. And God knows that. So God, as some churches teach us, so hard, he says, if you've got a divorce and you've got to live as single for the rest of your life because you've ever married again, you're going to commit adultery. God never said that. That's what churches have said. Are you following with me? Have I lost anybody on that? I'm not trying to okay divorce. I've tried to tell you God doesn't want divorce. Okay, But why did it happen? Because God looked at broken people who give in to their own sinful desires and He realized they become hard-hearted. And you see, hard-heartedness, that affects us. The hardness of heart is where one person in marriage refuses to admit any wrongdoing. It's not my fault we couldn't stay married. It's yours. And they, a hard-hearted person will say that even after the divorce. Will always tell the kids, it wasn't me, it was your mom. It was your mom. Hardness of heart causes blaming. Hardness of heart causes attacking. Hardness of heart causes us not to reveal our stubbornness and our wrong, but always call out our mate wrong. Matter of fact, for the rest of your life, your poor children have to listen to you talk about your 
exes, failures. And God realized people in marriage had these hard hearts, and He says, so I'll give permission for certificate of divorces. See, hard-hearted people say, there's nothing to work on. No, we're going to get a divorce. Hard-hardness causes us to decide, I have nothing to change. It's not my fault this divorce is happening. It's yours. Or hard-heartedness will cause me to say, I'm sorry, Laura, it is my fault. I went out of this marriage, and I refuse to change. Hard-heartedness, listen, what it does, it makes us stubborn. Do you understand why we started with stubbornness? Hard-heartedness brings me to stubbornness. I don't like the way you do something and I get hard-hearted. I get stubborn. I may not even be your friend. But in marriage, I don't want to stay married to you. It entrenches you in your position of stubbornness. You're right, they're wrong. And listen, now listen, now listen. You're right in your hard-heartedness and your stubbornness, and they're wrong, and anybody who doesn't agree with you becomes your what? Your enemy. Your mom and dad who loves you tries to help you understand. You're just taking her side. You don't love me. You understand? Hard-heartedness entrenches you in your stubbornness, and anybody who tries to help you understand... Because you're right and the other person's wrong and they say something in favor of the other person becomes your enemy. That's what happens. So Jesus brings up divorce because he's trying to tell these Jewish men he is the new covenant. They are to listen to him and marriage is very, very special. Somebody says, well, now he hadn't said that. Well, let's just look at a couple passages and then we're going to finish of what his followers learned that he taught them about what a husband and a wife's experience should be like. Remember, men is who he's talking to. Women ought to be this way too, but men. So some of you guys are blaming your wife for not having a fulfilling marriage. Come and talk to me. We'll talk about what you need to do where you want fulfillment. Look on the screen. Listen to what the Bible tells us about how a husband is to treat his wife. First Peter. 3-7, Peter very close to Jesus, Peter very close to Jesus, the Catholic Church calls Peter the first pope, Peter, great man of God, sinful like you and I, made mistakes, but look what God has led him, the Holy Spirit led him to write, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives, I'm telling you, everybody else can put your wife down, don't you put her down, now I'm not talking about you and her having a lot of fun and joking and everything, you think my... My armpit smells, you ought to feel, smell your feet when you take your shoes off. You know, I, I can say that to Laura. Now, I shouldn't be trying to dump it on her in front of you to make her terrible, but there, there is that humor that may be there. Now, you know whether it's violent or not. But treat, give honor to your wives. That Greek word means make your wife something of value. In other words, everybody who experiences your relationship with your wife, husband, ought to know she is more valuable than your bow, your shotgun, your car, your truck, your work. Uh-oh. The women are going, preach on, preach on. Guys are saying, is it time to end this? Matt said, let's pray. I mean, you just watch this. I do it anyway. I threw my arm around Laura, and I just leaned into her, and she leaned into me. We're, we're, we're with Matt talking to the Father, and we're feeling the value of the companionship he gave us. Guys, Laura didn't reach into me. Sometime I'll tell her, how come you don't reach over to me? Because you see, I get a little stubborn, get a little selfish. God said to the man, give your wife honor. Whenever I do that to Laura, you know what happens? Her chest just sticks out. Woo! She gets excited. She's going to fix me cow steak. She's going to give me love, sex. Because she knows her honor. When I'm burned down, she seeks to hump that honor back to me. Look, he goes on. 
Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. You can understand that guy you hunt with. You can understand that man you fixed a vehicle with. You can understand that person you work with, that other guy. But your wife, you keep saying, I don't understand her. Man, I don't understand her. Oh, I don't understand her. Now listen to me. Who's going to grow up and be like that? Your boy. Somebody's trusting you to raise your sons to marry their daughters and treat them the way Christ says. Maybe your dad didn't do that with you, but you don't have to do that with your son. You can do the right thing. Marriage is very, very special. Oh, how special it is. And we're destroying it. And our society's falling apart. And we're telling our kids that's just the way it's going to be. Look, he goes on. He says, she may be weaker than you. You know that's true. Well, I know some of your wives, they know a little judo and they can handle you. But most of the time, if you just go, she's down. She's down. And if you do that, shame on you. Once in a while, I get a woman who says, I'm not weaker than my husband. I just say, let's get to the weights. I'm going to tell you, unless she's married some skinny guy, and even skinny guys without distant women many times. God's saying in a regular understanding, she's weaker. Some of you women don't like that. That's okay. Be living alone. I know that about my wife. That's why, what do you, what's my favorite statement whenever I see some of you women carrying something? Yeah, say that again. Say it louder. But if you're a husband, if you're a husband who's got stubborn and I wouldn't, I'm not going to change, you'll never accept that. Where do I get that? That's scripture teaching. Does that might mean Laura's got to carry sometimes? Sure. She carries my babies. Some of you guys say, yeah, but that was 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Do you realize what that did to her body? I'm going to tell you, if you're into a woman that doesn't like to hear this, you're saying, end the sermon, so let's move on. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. In other words, don't come to me and say you're higher than your your mate, your woman, in God's eyes. No, you're equal partners. This is the new covenant. Don't give me the old covenant. This is the new covenant. Don't give me that old stuff. Jesus brings fulfillment and completion. Those men men should have known from Adam and Eve... the woman and the man were created for companionship, but they got to the place that man dominated in society and they put women away and Jesus says, you stop doing that and now all I want you to understand, marriage is very, very special and he taught his followers about marriage and they wrote it down and all you and I have to do is read it and learn to live in love as Jesus taught. She is equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Do you see that? Every so often I call attention to why the Bible says you don't have power. You don't have answered prayer. Look what he says. You want to know why some of us men can't get answered prayer? Because we don't treat our women right. I'm not saying that. That's what Jesus' followers were told. And either Jesus is trying to manipulate them or he's trying to mobilize them. And you know what I think Jesus wants? He wants Mike Davis to have a very powerful prayer life. He wants Mike Davis to see things that other people can't even believe could change and to pray about those. But God says, treat your woman this way. Some of you men, you hide your money from your women. You hide your things from your women. You hide your viewing from your women. You hide your life from your woman. And you still show up at home. But you know what? You're not treating her as your equal. And you're not valuing her by honoring her. Look at one more. Ephesians 5.25. This is the verse that in my 20s, my mentor taught me about my relationship with Laura. And I've learned, this is the measuring stick if I'm a good husband for me. For husbands, this means love your wives. Sometimes people say, well, the Bible says, wives are alive, love their husbands. Nope, nowhere in the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean you don't do it. <laughs> See? Daughters ought to learn from father's example to love their mates, okay? But he says, love your wives. Okay? How? You can read many books on love language of the love life. How should you love? This is the verse. How? Just as Christ loved the church. Do you know what Jesus did for the church? 
He faced ridicule. He faced poverty. He stepped out of glorious experiences of peace and unity and togetherness and entered all this crud for his wife, the bride, the church. Guys, how should you love your wife? You step out of all your comfort and enter into that loving experience with her. So what does it say? What did he do? How did he, just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. That's the example. I've used this before. If I only got $25, boy, today, $25, maybe $50, and she, needs to have, she wants to have her hair done, and I want to buy a shirt, and we can't make a decision, you know who ought to die? Me. I don't buy the shirt. I say, go get your hair done. Now, you don't create a monster. You don't create a selfish individual. We're responsible to rebuke each other when we do the wrong thing. That's another passage. But for most of us, it's a matter, yeah, well, I haven't bought arrows for a month. <laughs> and you want to go spend the money on the kids? Gee whiz! I want a new truck and you want to take a trip. Am I making that up? Man, even the women are afraid to shake. That's what Jesus says marriage is. I'm telling you, this is foreign. I probably got young people saying, I don't think that's possible. Because you see, moms and dads don't think that's possible. Listen, grandpa and grandma, you got no kids getting away. You start living this way, grandpa. You start living this way, grandpa. Let your children, I don't care if they're already married, see this. And you, you parents start living this way that are in your 40s or in your 30s. And let your children grow up. Let's raise up a transformed generation that understands that marriage. Look at your last blank on your message map. That understands that Jesus says that marriage is very, very special. If you're having difficulty in marriage, find somebody who seems to be demonstrating, listen, the godly characteristics of marriage. Don't ask somebody, don't show that. They can't explain it. If you're having trouble in your marriage, I invite you, email me, call me, okay? We're going to stop. I'm going to have a prayer. Would you bow with me real quick? Father, we pray for your help in regard to the need that's right now. We thank you for these words. In Jesus' name, amen. We're done.